Good singing. You may be seated. Amen. Good singing indeed. Take your Bibles this morning. Turn with me to Genesis chapter number 5. Genesis chapter number 5. We're starting a new series called Walking with God. And in the early service, there was probably 70, 60 maybe in the early service, 70 in the early service. Um, And I asked them, who do they think the guy in the center is? Who do you think it is? I mean, these are all characters from the Old Testament. I had a young lady uh, who lives down in Florida uh, draw these for us, and we're going to use them as our own personal character sketches. And I thought it was very revealing to me in the early hour. Uh, I think it'll be very instructive for me in this hour. Who is the guy in the middle? Who's the fellow that's, oh, oh, oh I've been blessed by God? Abraham. Abraham. All right, somebody did it. All right, Father Abraham, he had many sons, as we sing in the children's church hour. Who are some of the others? Who's the one on the far left there? Moses. Moses. Man, this is a better crowd. This is the godly crowd. This is the holy crowd right here, buddy. I'm telling you what. That is Moses and his staff. He's ready to raise it. Now, we'll study him in a couple, actually a couple months before we get to Moses. Who is that in between him? That happy young fella in his coat of multiple colors. Joseph, good. Who is it then to the, or to the right, as you look at him, of Abraham? John the Baptist. Somebody said no. These are all Old Testament. Although John the Baptist closed the Old Testament, Phil, so. All right. Noah. Noah. Remember when we started doing the sketch up for this, she said to me, you know, what does Noah look like to you? And my answer was, well, he's not white. <laughs> He was pre-flood. He was been Adamic. Adam means ruddy or red, very similar. Uh, it has a, a context in the original language of being red-ish. And so I said he would be red-toned, darker, out in the sun a lot, building a boat. <laughs> and so she said, how does this look after a couple months? And I said, I think he looks great. And next week we'll start into Noah as we study him. Who's the guy on the far right? David, Joshua, who? Somebody else said it? I thought I heard it. Jacob. The most influential time in Jacob's life is noted that after he met with God for the rest of his life, he did what? He walked leaning upon a stick. And so here is a picture of Jacob. Now, these are just men that we're going to study through the course of this year. And I told the early hour, as the sermons are writing and as I'm getting deeper into them, and I'm into sermons now somewhere into September and looking down the road and starting to... uh, kind of pull out not just what I want to preach on for each of these characters, but exactly how many of the messages it's going to take. We might make it into next year and probably go halfway, if not all the way through, if we take it into the New Testament and do some of those characters. Uh, Here is the good news for you. I, I know someone that recently was talking to me, and they said that the church they're in with a good pastor, they've been in the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke, for seven years. I promise we will not be in this series for seven years, okay? That's what I can tell you. I can give you my word on that. In Genesis chapter number 5, we have someone that's not pictured here, but is the picture of what we're going to study. He is the type, he is the first mention of one who walked with God. And we're going to talk about that importance in just a few moments 
as we study this man Enoch. And so, while we have all of these wonderful patriarchs and Bible characters and godly souls drawn for us and depicted for us, Enoch is not one of them. Besides Genesis chapter 5, there's only two other passages of Scripture that give any other reference or insight into who Enoch was. We'll look at both of them this morning. But simply to say, for our purposes, he is the original man who walked with God. Pick up the reading in Genesis chapter 5 and verse 21. The Bible says, Enoch lived 65 year, 60 and 5 years and begat Methuselah. And Enoch walked with God after he begat Methuselah 300 years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Enoch were 360 and 5 years. And Enoch walked with God. This is now the second time that God has told us this. And he was not. That's an interesting statement, isn't it? He was not. For God took him. Period. End of his story. (laughs) And we're going to preach a message on this man this morning. Father, help us, I pray, as we look at what it means to walk with you. Help us as we set forward, not just a sermon of introduction, but a sermon of emphasis upon what is important and what is necessary. God, those that we study, these men and women from the Word of God that we will know and that we will learn from in the coming months, they are no different than us. We often put these Bible patriarchs and Bible heroes up on a pedestal or in some kind of elevated position, and certainly because of their walk and their faith, they should be revered and honored. But in truth, they are no different than us. In fact, one could argue with the amount of revealed truth we have about who you are, we have even more opportunity to walk with you, more reason to walk with you. Help us this morning as we study this man Enoch, that we might understand the truth and that the truth then would change who we are and how we act. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As we come to the message this morning, I want to remind us why we're talking about walking with the, with the Lord, walking with God. In 2023, we have set out over the last two Sundays to show that God is the one that we want to lead us. But I have to then ask this question, what does that mean in real life? Sometimes when we make statements or a pastor preaches, we kind of then assume, yes, that's a glorious thing. God will lead me, and now I'm going to work on Monday morning. But what does it mean to be led of the Lord? What does it mean to have God leading you? And this morning, beginning in this sermon, I want to start laying before you Real, genuine souls, real people of the Bible, real people that had real problems just like you do, who decided of their free will to walk with God. The answer to the question of what does it look like or what does it mean in real life that God leads us, the answer is this, it means action. It means movement. Particularly, it means walking. If someone is leading, then they are leading you somewhere from where you were to where they want you to be. That is pretty basic. Sometimes we get wrapped up that the pastor is the smartest human being living. I'm just trying to lay before you basic truth. Because the problem for most Christians is we don't act on basic truth. The basic knowledge that we have from the Word of God. 
There are dozens of Bible characters, especially of the Old Testament, that can teach us about God's leading in their lives. That is what this series will endeavor to do. See God's leading as they, these Old Testament saints, determined to walk by faith. Here is the list that we will start with for this year. Noah, Abraham, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Joshua, Ruth, Samuel, David, Solomon, Elijah, Esther, and Daniel. These are the ones that we are going to see God leading in their life, and they, by free will choice, choosing to walk with Him. The first character that we must study, then, doesn't get a picture because he doesn't have much said about him. I would truly be straining at a gnat if I built an entire series on Enoch, though there are some key points that are worthy of further study on your part in his life. Enoch was given to us as a simple type of what it means to walk with God in our age. He is an example that we should follow And all of the Old Testament saints followed in Enoch's footsteps of walking with God, and so we can this morning as well. To preface Enoch's example, we must begin by understanding the biblical origin of the leading of God in our notes this morning. We must begin there. If we're going to understand Enoch and the fact that he walked with God, we're going to have to begin by understanding how God leads, why God leads, and where He leads. The psalmist tells us that God, his shepherd, leads him, but where was he leading him? How does God lead us? First, we note in our outlines this morning that the leading of God is through his voice calling to us. Go back a few pages in Genesis chapter 3. In Genesis chapter 3, we see what is coming and why it is necessary or right for God to call out the righteousness or the actions of Enoch in walking with him because of the fall and the sin and the wickedness that fell out from what we're going to read in chapter number 3. If you know the Bible, you know that Genesis chapter 1 is a general introduction to why God created and what God created. In chapter 2, it gets very specific on his special creation, mankind, how he became a living soul and God breathed into him the breath of life. And from that, then Adam was created and Adam was then Uh, put to sleep and had a rib taken out and Eve was created. And in chapter 2, you have the perfection of innocence. You have the perfection of the garden. You have the perfection of what it means to dwell with God and to routinely and in fullness walk with God. In chapter 3, sin enters. In the first seven verses, there is sin that comes into this world. The Bible says in verse 6, And when woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also to her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were open, and they knew that they were naked. That word naked doesn't just mean to their physical appearance. It means they were exposed in their guilt and shame. For the first time, they understood fully what they were in their sin. Because before, they had no sin. The Bible says they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. Notice verse 8. Pick up our reading there as well. The Bible says, And they heard the voice of the Lord God doing what? That's an interesting phrase. The Bible doesn't accidentally use words. They heard the voice of the Lord God 
walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. What an interesting statement indeed. They heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Here we find the voice calling to them. How does God lead us? He calls to us. He has his word and by his word he works in us. God is walking, we're told in this passage, which indicates he is moving. In this particular instance, God is moving towards Adam in his fall, in his sinful condition, in the state that he found himself in. It is a perfect picture and type in Genesis 3 and verse 8 of how God performs the redemptive plan. He chose us so that we could choose him. He came to them so that they might by faith come to him. This is redemption in its simplest form. God exercising grace. He did not have to come to them. He had warned Adam in the garden, the day that ye eat thereof, ye shall surely die. Adam did not have any more, at least from the revealed word of God, description of what that meant. That's it. He was to take God at his word and act upon it by faith, stay in that innocence. But he chose to sin. He chose to depart. And in so choosing, God exercises grace and comes to him. But in coming to him, it is the voice of God that is walking. It is the voice of God, the word of God that is calling to them. The very next verse, if you're there in your Bibles, you can see the Bible says this, And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? That is the call of God to every believer today. That is the call of God to every human soul, sinful, yet in their rejection of Jesus Christ and those who have received Jesus Christ. He still today calls, where are you? God is walking here. It indicates he's moving, in this instance, moving towards Adam. But we could also say that God is always moving. He's always walking. He's always leading. And in the word of God, it is through this book, his voice, his calling to us, that we find where he's leading us to. God is either moving toward us because we've repented and we want his refreshment and his presence, or he's walking with us because we've been faithful and consistent, or because we've sinned, he's walking away from us. He's growing distant from us. But in this instance, we find God comes to them. God moves in the lives of men. He moves in creation. In fact, if we look at the voice calling to us, we can see that God's movement is found in creation. His voice called from nothing all things into being. In innocence, his voice talked with man in the cool of the day. It was for God's refreshment and God's communion, but also for Adam's refreshment and Adam's communion. In the fall, his voice comes and pronounced condemnation upon our race. You have died. If you were to continue reading in chapter 3, you would find that the voice of God, God himself, but using his voice, says to them, listen, here is what the curse means. You will die. In dying, you will die is the original language sense of the teaching there. 
but it is His voice that pronounced condemnation. In redemption, His voice calls us. And as His sheep, Jesus said in John 10, we all respond. In the rapture, for those of us who have faith in Jesus Christ, His voice will shout and it will rescue us as His bride. In the tribulation, His voice will thunder and the wrath and vengeance will fall upon mankind. In His ultimate return, when He sets foot on this earth again, His voice will restore man with a perfect and unmovable standard. And that standard is His book, His Word, His voice. In His reign, His voice will rule both with confidence, conviction, and compassion. In the new creation, His voice will unleash man to the eternal state that He has prepared for us that only His mind can conceive. Yours can't, and mine can't. The point is that in every dispensation, in every time, and in every way, God's voice leads. It calls to us. His word guides us. His word guards us. His word guarantees that his will is done in us, for us, and through us. That is what the voice of God does. And yet we treat his voice as an afterthought, as a burden. The leading of God is His voice calling. Well, pastor, I just want to come to church and have you show me where God is leading me. I am daily trying to make sure that I am following His leading for my life. That is not to say that I'm not called to help you discover the leading of God in your life, but you have a far better tool than I ever could be, and that is His voice, His book. The voice of God wants to walk with you in the cool of every morning and in the calm of every night. That's what God's Word wants to do for you. By the way, He will not ask us to walk with Him and then leave an uncertain or undone path. He will not leave us halfway down the road of wherever He's leading and say, (laughs) Good luck! and scamper away. He's not that kind of God. It's why he took the time in Genesis 3 and verse 8 to even come to Adam and Eve in the condition. He, from his position of holiness, could see them now in their unholiness that they were hiding from and rejecting his word. By the way, that's the most condemning statement in this verse, that they hid themselves from the very word of God. Oh, friend, may that never be said of you. When the Spirit of God uses the word of God to call you to action, may you walk where he leads. May you follow his voice and where it calls you. He will not leave us to walk with him and have an uncertain path. The psalmist said it clearly in Psalm 119 and 105, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. That is his voice calling us today. Whether it was Enoch here that we're going to begin to study, Noah, Abraham, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Joshua, Ruth, or any of the other Bible characters that we will study in Old and New Testament, all of them understood that following the calling voice of Almighty God is what He desired for them. That's the difference. That's what makes Enoch different than everyone else of his generation, is that he heard the voice of God calling, and he answered. Where it leads... He chose to follow. It is through His voice calling, but let her be in your notes. It is through His veritable communion. Yes, veritable is a big word. It just means His real or genuine communion. 
Make no mistake about it, God desired to commune with man. It's why he made us. He wanted a sentient, that means intelligent, free will being to choose of their will to love and commune with him. That's what God desires. Stop and think about that. When you discard what God wants or where he leads you in his life, you are literally saying to the almighty creator of the universe, I know you love me so much that you have built in a plan and process to bring me into relationship and daily communion with you, but I don't want it. Is that what you want to say to God? Is that who we want to be? The picture is clear here. God came to Adam and Eve, but Adam and Eve had themselves to come to God. The great picture of this truth is that in the moments after sin, Adam and Eve are afraid and exposed to their frailty and to their faults for the first time ever. Why? Because before they had none. Now they did. It is not a terrible thing for you to have your sins exposed, my friend. It is part of the process of walking with God. When you are walking in His light, when you are walking in His glory, it will expose the darkness in you and your response is, I don't want that, God, please forgive me and remove it from my life. God comes down and walks with Adam and Eve in the garden. Instead of running to Him, And communing as friend to friend, what do they do? They hide themselves. The great commentator John Phillips says this of this particular passage. He says, and I put it in your your notes, Before their sin, the voice of God in the garden had been their joy and delight. Is that true of you? Their daily quiet time with Him had been the best time of the day. Their sinful guilt and their shameful condition now kept them from walking with God. It kept them hiding, or caused them, I should say, to hide from God. The reality is that communion with God is our choice. God wants to be not just your friend, but your father. He wants to be an intimate caring part of your life. He wants to be your all in all, truthfully, but it is our choice whether we commune with him as friend with friend. He comes to man through his word, and we commune by him, with him by our choice. All of the great Bible characters have the same common leading of God that you and I have. The question boiled down to, will you walk with him or will you hide from him? Walking with God means following the leading of God. Now this morning, and some of you are thinking, when are we getting to Enoch? And here it is. Enoch is a one-sermon study because there's so little written about him. However, the most significant thing written about him is not that he walked with God. It's not particularly that he pleased God. And it's not so much in the book of Jude that he was angry at ungodly sinners, which are all true. It's that he's the first one it's mentioned of. That's what makes him so significant and worthy of our study. The concept of the law of first mention is an important principle set forward in the Bible. In other words, Enoch is the first and fullest example of what it means to walk with God. The leading of God translates number two in our notes to Enoch's love for God. 
What does it produce? What does it bring forward? Well, love for God produces our walk with God. You will walk with God if you love Him. You will not walk with God if you do not love Him. It's that simple. Here's how the Apostle John said it in his epistle. In 1 John 2, verse 3, he says, And hereby we do know that we know Him, if we keep His commandments. He, say, he that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, not a lover. And the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth his word in him, in that individual, verily or truly, is the love of God perfected. It is sure and mature, we might say. It's settling. Hereby know we that we are in him. He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also, notice, so to walk even as he, that's Jesus Christ, is the he referenced here, walked in this world. Enoch understood this principle far before John ever wrote this principle. If I love God, I'm going to walk with God. My love for him produces a willingness to go where he goes and do what he says. Understand this morning that Enoch's love for God is seen first in his trust. In his trust. Again, reading here in our text in Genesis chapter number 5 in verse 21, Enoch lived 60 and 5 years and begat Methuselah. Enoch walked with God after he begat Methuselah 300 years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Enoch were 365 years. And Enoch walked with God and he was not for God took him. He trusted God. Now, we don't understand that last phrase in its fullness. But friend, if the rapture were to happen this morning or during our lifetime while we still draw breath, we will know exactly what Enoch experienced. We live, but we do not physically die because God will take us. The Bible calls it rapturo. It means the idea of to be caught up together or caught away with him. It is a calling out of the assembly of his bride, of his church, of the believers of this world. We find that Enoch exercises great trust in God. In fact, two times it is mentioned in this simple three-verse section that he walked with God, he walked with God. Enoch in his timeline and in the time of his troubled world shows that his love for God produced his walk with God. In fact, Enoch sets the tone for all those walking with God who would come after him. The walk with God must be built upon our faith in God. We love him because he first loved us, but we must trust that he's always good and that he leads us to a godliness beyond what we have. Listen to the condition of Enoch's world. I'll set the scene for us, but look over in Genesis chapter 6. Just one chapter over in verse number 5. The Bible says this, now this is the lead into Noah, and I recognize that Noah is four generations after Enoch, but I remember the name and pictures of my great-grandpa, that's all we're talking about here. So this world of Enoch, who himself lived 365 years and everybody around him, his own son lived 969 years, we know that these generations were still walking and talking on the earth at the time of the flood. It's only Enoch who was raptured and taken out before it all happened. The rest of them died in it or just died before it. The Bible says this, of that generation, of those people in that time, God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. 
and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord. God was sorry. He lamented over the fact that he had made man on the earth. And it grieved him at his heart or at his core. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I've created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and creeping thing, and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I've made them. Verse number 11. The earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. And God looked upon the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. Enoch was raptured about 600 years before the flood. Now stop for a second. What's happened in the last 600 years? But just think about it. It would be 1423. We all know when Columbus sailed the ocean blue, it was what year? See, right? You listened in school. You can listen in church too. Right? When did Gutenberg come up with the movable type? 1450s? I could say 53 or 56, and I'd be right or wrong on one of them, but it was somewhere in that window. Literally 600 years ago, those things didn't even exist. And so you look at that, and in your human mind, you want to say, well, I mean, 600 years, man, that's a long time. It is, and before the flood, people lived a long time. Enoch's son lived 969 years. He outlived another son, another individual, by seven years. Can I tell you something? If you've lived 969 years or 962, you don't really care about the record at that point. Right? It's a long time. But what we have to focus in on is if everybody was living that long, then the wickedness of those people and their lives, the perniciousness, the evil, all of the transgressions, all of it just propounded and got worse and worse and worse and worse. And as it proceeded down through that worst state, Enoch was living in the midst of it. In other words, we can say that his trust was not in a utopia, but in a hellscape. It was in a horror film. It was in the worst of humanity in all that you could imagine. It was dystopian rather than utopian. When we think about this idea of four generations, it's no different than me saying, I remember old Hop Fannin. Now, my dad's not in here, but his grandpa, my great-grandfather, was four generations back, old Nelson Fannin. My dad is, Kyle is one generation, Ron is the second generation, my grandfather Edward is the third generation, and my great-grandfather Nelson, or Hop as they called him as he jumped from one drinking location to the other. (laughs) Hallelujah, what a savior, (laughs) truthfully. I can not recall him, but I can recall as a kid people saying, man, you look just like Hop, and I'm glad I didn't act just like Hop, but the point is I look just like him. I understand that. I mean, he died in like the 60s or the 70s, and I was born in the late 70s, and so maybe mid-70s, but the point is, is I was born beyond his life. But it's not hard to imagine that he was born in the late 1800s. We're talking 130 years. We're not talking 600, but we can understand what he's talking about generationally then. The world progressed through generation after generation after generation to a wicked and evil state. That was the generation. Those were the people that Enoch was walking with God in the face of, in the midst of. Now, we also have lost another thing in our modern times. 
the naming of children. We don't really think about naming children. Today we might think of a name that we think is pretty or it has a purpose. Or, or so, but we really don't think of the actual root etymology or the meaning of names. I say that my mom and dad did. They named me Kyle. And in Gaelic, Kyle means handsome. Did they get it right, Jessica? Right? I mean, they did. I mean, my parents got it right. But, you know, most of us don't think about that when naming our kids. But in the Bible, every name meant something. Especially in the pre-flood world, every name meant something. We find that Enoch names his son Methuselah. Do you know what Methuselah means? It means, when he's dead, it shall be sent. (laughs) Can you imagine him living his whole life? And they were probably waiting for him to die. Like, man, what are you going to check out? I'm going to outlive everybody. And he did. So when you stop and you think this through in the Bible sense, you understand for Enoch that he's naming his son, understanding what God is up to and who God is. When we read Jude, it makes a lot more sense why he would name his son this. Methuselah's son Lamech's name means for humiliation or the lowering unto humiliation. And Lamech too, like his father, Methuselah, died at the point of or just in the flood. By the way, Lamech died at 777 years old, the Bible tells us. That's an amazing thought. Three sets, uh, three sets of completion, we might say, in biblical numerology. Lamech named his son Noah. We know him and we'll study him for several weeks in the coming month. His name means rest from the curse or toil. I often wonder if he was naming Noah knowing or thinking, look, it's just going to all end in his generation. It can't last. Does that not sound like our present day? This world can't keep going like it's going. There is truly nothing new under the sun. So you exercising true trust in God and walking with him is absolutely no different than Enoch doing it. And yet we put Enoch in this grouping to say, man, I just couldn't be like him. You know why you say that? It's because you don't want to be like him. It's truth. It's why I don't want to be like him sometimes. It's hard to walk with God, but it's the right thing to do. It's an amazing thing for us to consider what Enoch did in his trust towards God and who he was. All of this is to say that among the likely 10 billion souls that were alive at the time of the flood, or in the generations leading up to the flood, this singular line of Enoch to Methuselah to Lamech to Noah, they alone chose to walk with God. And even within their line, lineage, and family, only these particular ones wanted to do what was right by God. Now, sometimes we will say, it feels like the whole world has become sinful. But you can come to church and see a lot of families that have chosen to do right by the Word of God. We can tell of churches here in the United States and all around the world where there's people gathered on a Sunday morning like this who want to do right by the Word of God. Imagine walking with God and trusting God and literally, not figuratively, but literally being the only family doing it. Would you still? You see, these messages are going to be important because Enoch was no different than you. He was surrounded by wickedness and he could have very easily yielded and said, you know what, it's just not worth it. 
My kids want to listen to that. They want to watch that. They want to talk like that. My wife and I don't want to live by these structures or strictures, and I just don't want to do this anymore. And I would say to you, I understand that is your flesh, that is the devil, and that is the world. But if you want to walk with God, it's going to have to look like Enoch's life. This is truth. It's choices. Our days presently are dark, but it's not a reason to give up hope nor is it a reason to abandon our walk with God. No, friend, now is the time to trust in God. It's a time to trust Him. But we find Enoch's love is not just in his trust, but letter B, it's in his testimony. In Hebrews chapter 11, we find a little bit more explanation as to what it says that he was not in verse 24. And that God took him. Here's what the Bible says in Hebrews 11 and verse 5. The heroes hall of faith, if you will. Those who lived by faith. The Bible says, by faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is. By the way, get that phrasing. He that walketh towards God. He that walks with God. He that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. The absolute opposite of what Adam and Eve did in the garden. They hid. Enoch walked towards God. He said, God, this is what your voice is calling me to do. And I love you so much. My testimony is I'm going to do it because I want to please you. I want to obey you. Pleasing God means that we are doing what He wants, how He wants, when He wants, fulfilling the why of all that God wants. God wants us to seek Him, to follow Him, to walk after and ultimately with Him. Enoch chose to do this. I love in Genesis chapter 5 that it tells us Enoch lived how many years? Some of you have done the math. He lived 65, gave birth to Methuselah. Well, he didn't. His wife did. But he had Methuselah and lived another 300. That's how many years? Whoa. How many days are in a year? 365. Well, I guess God just accidentally had that happen. I mean, it's, it's amazing. He could have taken him at 366 or taken him at 364 or taken him at 219. It wouldn't have mattered, would it? But for whatever reason, for why, I don't know, he left for us to understand that there was 365 years. I personally believe, my opinion is, it's to tell us if you're going to walk with God, you've got to do it every day of your life. 365. After church in the early service, somebody said, what about leap years? (laughs) I guess if you feel like taking one off, I wouldn't recommend it. See, you can't make a doctrine out of something. The world, by the time of Enoch's translation, was likely several billion in population. That's a lot of wicked people to have just one family, one lineage, choosing to please God. I wonder what would happen if a whole church of families chose to walk with God as the Word of God leads us. What would we become? What would we do? Who would we change and what would the impact be? The leading of God translated to Enoch's love for God. And then finally, there's a lesson for our walking in it. The leading, the love, and the lesson this morning. 
As short as Enoch's life story is for us in the Bible, there are two lessons that we must learn. First, be faithful. You say, you read that in Genesis chapter 5. Well, listen, if he lived 365 years and we're told twice he walked with God, there had to be a faithful life in there. If Hebrews comments under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost that he pleased God, there had to be a lot of faithfulness in there. Here's what John the Apostle writes in his epistle, 1 John 2 and verse 15. Love not the world. These could be true and said of Enoch. These are absolutely a part of who he was. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world, Enoch knew this part, the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. That is Enoch. That's what it means to walk with God. Enoch lived in a wicked world. His secret to success was loving God more than loving to live like the sinners around him. And that's the hard part, Christian. I get it. Teenager, it's not lost on me. I used to be one way, way, way back when I had more hair and less gray in it. I get that it's hard, but it is right if you want to please God. The key to success is to be faithful to God whom you love. That and that alone produces the walk that you should have, and I would argue will have with God. James writes this. He writes a very strong statement in James 4 in verse 4. He starts by saying, ye adulterers and adulteresses. Yikes. Those are people that cheat on their spouses. This is how God views it. He says, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? It literally drives a wedge in between us. You can't love the world and walk with God. He concludes, whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. I know God does not walk with his enemies. God wars with them. Be faithful. The first step of faith is to trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. Then you can walk as He walked. And that is the expectation for those of us who have trusted in Jesus Christ. The second thought and final thought for us this morning is be following. Again, preaching sometimes isn't rocket science. My job is to convey to you the simple message that God has for you. You might argue, well, if I'm faithful, I am following. Now, there's a lot of people that will dub themselves or term themselves as faithful by being here two or three Sunday mornings a year. To follow God says, I'm going to be here when the doors are open, but more important than this church, I'm going to do what this book says. That's what it means to be a follower. When Jesus met those apostles there by the seaside, he says, follow me. The Bible says they left all and followed him. In the Garden of Eden, the voice of God came to walk with man. It wasn't until Enoch, the seventh from Adam, that we find a man who was willing to take up the task or the mantle or the work or the responsibility of walking with God. He chose to follow God's leading. Would you do the same this morning? Listen to Enoch's assessment of the spirit of man in his age. 
and what following God might look and sound like in our day because it sounds like his day wasn't that much different than our day. Here's what he says in Jude 14. And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these. The these here are the false teachers that Jude has already confronted in the 13 verses before this. He said he spoke of these, these evil men, these wicked souls, these ones that were opposed to God. He said, saying, behold, the Lord cometh with 10,000 of his saints. I wonder if that's where he got the name Methuselah. When he dies, it's going to be sent. I wonder if in his prophecy, if he thought that's when the 10,000 were coming. Might have been. He was raptured in heaven and had clarity then. The point is, something troublesome came. Behold, the Lord cometh with 10,000 of his saints to do what? To execute judgment upon all, to convince or to convict all that are ungodly or not like God among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have ungodly committed, and of all their hard speeches, which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. You get the idea that Enoch did not like ungodliness. That's all that's preserved of what he said. Hey, listen, this is a fantastic guy, but not much said about him. Far too often, instead of opposing the wickedness of this world, modern believers, present-day Christians, find ourselves agreeing with it, turning a blind eye to it, Or in the worst case, embracing it. Not Enoch. Not somebody that wants to walk with God. They're going to look at the ungodliness around them and recognize that there is judgment coming, that there is conviction that is needed, and that there are deeds that are wrong by God's standard. Rather than capitulating and giving in, rather than caving to what is wrong, he said, no, I will be faithful to follow God. The lesson for walking with God is to follow. And when you do, you will find that you too can do the things that Enoch and every other Bible saint that we will study in this series accomplished in their walks with him. Abraham was a troubled soul, as we'll see when we come to him. Noah found grace, we'll see next week, but he had to fight hard at the end of his life to hold on to holiness. They're people just like us. They had to make a choice to walk with God just like we do. In closing this morning, we will study over a dozen men and women of God who walked with Him. Their lives will serve as inspiration, even motivation, that if they could walk with God, we can too, just like Enoch. The question for this morning then is, are you willing to walk with God? I put it at the very bottom of your notes. Are you willing to? To walk with God. I phrase it another way. Do you want to? (laughs) On your notes. Does the truth that God leads us in paths of righteousness mean anything to you? Are you willing to commit this morning your life to follow God? Follow Jesus Christ in our age? That means in every thought and in every action. I understand that this series is going to be very difficult. Because as I've studied these characters my whole Christian life and in earnest over the last 12 years of my Christian life as a pastor and I started studying characters, they are both very revealing and they're very convicting because we are going to find a lot of us in them.
And if they could love God and walk with Him, that means we can too. It's encouraging. It's hope to hang on to. Father, help us as we...